Hello and welcome to the Listics AFL podcast. I'm your host, John Van Norton, and uh, we're here today. We're back with Sean. Um, he's back from his week-long hiatus, and uh, we couldn't be happier to have him back. Uh, week into the JLT, Sean, and how are you finding it this week, mate? Yeah, yeah, uh, good to be back. Apologies for missing the last uh, episode, and thank you, John, for soldiering on in my absence. And um, it was, seems like it's a good one around the uh, supplementary player rules. So, um, good little topic there that we we obviously enjoy. Um, JLT one, what do we what do we learn? Um, AFL's in a good state, I think. Yeah, I think that, I mean, I was pretty happy with all the games across the weekend. And obviously, it's hard as well. Like, people are saying, you know, closer games, higher scoring, all that kind of stuff. But the reality is is that the top teams haven't really kicked into gear yet. Um, So, a couple of the underdogs, the teams of the competition, we expect to finish closer to the bottom um, getting up. Um, which is good to see at this time of year, but uh, I expect once the real stuff starts, there, there might be some pounding still. Um, it just might be easier to score for some teams. Yeah, look, I think um, overall the, the teams are, are going to find scoring a lot easier. Um, I think as well we're probably going to see a few scores get run up, particularly for young sides later in the year. Um, so teams that are going to go in quite young this year, like your Gold Coasts, um, Carlton might be marginally older this year, but I still think they're on the young side. Yeah, Doggies as well are young. So I think a few of these sides, you know, if if the the young boys are, I guess, struggling, um, are going to get overrun. So yeah, I I I'm, I feel a bit, a bit the same. Like especially like Melbourne were a team last year who tended to pound down on some teams that were down the bottom. So when they won, they won by a lot. And when they lost, lost by not very much, as you would have experienced. Um, But I have a feeling that those big wins are going to occur a bit more just with um, the midfield dominance and someone like Max Gorn just taking it to the next level inside. Uh, It's really going to be uh, interesting to see how it goes. But what we're wanting to do today is actually we've we've got one round of data, which isn't a whole lot, but we actually want to take a look at the new rules uh, and I guess how they're going to affect uh, this year and I guess team playing structures. Yeah, and I guess we'll probably talk on who's going to be uh, at an advantage using these particular rules versus some teams who may struggle as well. So just kind of um, probably a bit more general today rather than specifics. And we're going to touch on some super coach as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's similar to talking about the teams that it might benefit. We're also look at talking about the players that might benefit from these rules. Um, the players in your in your super coach and fantasy formats that may be able to take advantage and um, yeah, I mean we've already we've already seen one of them be really evident, which is the six 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 starting positions at centre bounces. Yeah, look, it's um, I guess it's a hark back to the old days, um, seeing six guys up forward and six guys at back, and not seeing two run off the back of the square. Um, obviously, uh, the the sight of a free kick being awarded, I think for it, and was it the first or second game on the weekend, was was something that would have frustrated a few fans, and I think that's understandably so. It's certainly um, starting positions is. Guess can make it feel a bit like netball, um, but I think in terms of the overall flow of the game and for what the AFL is trying to, you know, I guess achieve with a, a more natural, um, free-flowing game style, um, this is certainly a, a good little start. I don't think it's going to be. I, mean, I know it's been the one that everyone's made a song and dance about, but I actually don't think it's going to impact overall. As as Richmond kind of showed, they. Richmond kind of just started their wings at the the back corner of the centre square anyway, and then just had their their wingmen run swinging loops through the midfield anyway. So yeah. it's effectively like starting off the back. I mean, if they made it so the starting position was directly to the side of the the like what they did for AFLX. Yeah, yeah. So you had a start position yeah. and that mark. If they did that, then maybe it might have a bit more of an impact. But yeah, overall, I see. You know, it's great that if you get a quick clearance, there's going to be one-on-one contests everywhere so I really like that um, but overall in terms of the impact of the the whole game I don't see it being a massive impact at all no no neither do I and it, it has um, it has looked good for some of the clearance sort of work because you get to see a couple more clearance goals and I'm not sure what the numbers are on those yet but 
the clearance goals that I have seen, there's just been um, more marking goals, um, yeah. like more charging out of the square and a couple of guys flying at it. So that's been that's been exciting to see. And just one thing on the um, fans being annoyed for players not getting into positions in time and having a free kick awarded against that. Mm. It's That's really, I know that there's interchanges, but that's the easiest part of the game and that's just a discipline thing. So once teams realise that this is a real rule, it's not just a trial. Like one of the rules of the game is that you have to start 6-6-6. If you don't, it's just because your team wasn't disciplined enough to get into position in time. Uh, you'll start getting frustrated at your players for being undisciplined rather than at the at the rule. Yeah, um, I, I think it's compounded. I mean, we'll touch on the... The, this rule actually no it's probably a good segue to be honest um, I think it's compounded a bit because they've obviously also taking away runners and um, and water carriers and when you're in the in the heat of a game you, you're often quite distracted and now they've got these LED boards for interchanges and stuff and you know if if you know a player from the back line doesn't look quick enough um and get on and off in time, it's just going to be a free kick, which, I mean, I'd like to see the AFL probably show a little bit of common sense, and I know we spitballed some ideas that might help in this. Um, I mean, if you're going to limit the runners and water carriers on the ground like they have, um, maybe they need to have um, an extra two interchange gates for each side, you know, up at the forward line, up at the back line, which allow players to directly interchange on the side um, of the ground and there, that way you, you're not going to infringe because at the moment that infringement of a player running from the, the interchange gate to the back 50 is actually driven by the AFL bringing in the interchange gates many years ago. Yeah. So, I mean, like, that that could be a change that would be beneficial or maybe they create a bit of a safe zone marked by a yellow line on the ground which the player can run through to get back to the safe position. Or you can, I mean, just allow... When, when the play is dead, as in the ball is going back from a goal to the centre square, you just you're not counting numbers on the ground so instead of waiting for somebody to have to come off before you go on the person that's entering the ground just runs straight to the player that they're taking off and says off you go I mean, there, there's no way that an AFL player isn't going to be able to run the 100 metres that it takes to find their man and send them off in a 70-second time period that they've got at the moment. That yeah. would be a pretty straightforward way to do it. And I guess the other option would be just extend the extend the break, which we, we also yeah. spoke about, which is, you know, you have a slightly longer... Um, after goal advert, which I'm sure Channel Seven and Fox Sports will oh, absolutely love. I love it. There's, there's nothing. There's nothing wrong with that. Just bump it by an extra thirty seconds. It's not like it. Oh, maybe not thirty, but maybe you know fifteen. 15. Yeah. Give it. Give them. Give them one more ad. Um, but, and yeah. But yeah, but back on to what the rule is. It's basically that, that runners and water carriers are only allowed to enter the the playing surface after a goal's been kicked, and they've got a exit before play restarts. So. Um, it's it's very um I guess it's difficult and we saw I think with some of the high temperatures that players wanting a drink um, was quite difficult for them um, I think what we'll probably end up seeing in the, in the football season is we'll see that when um, teams are, are going forward that their backmen they'll have water bottles positioned at a certain point where they can quickly go and grab a drink from the sidelines outside the field of play because I look I understand they don't want them interfering with the play and all that and that's fine um but AFL is a unique game it's a physical um aerobic game as well um and denying water limiting interchanges you're pushing players to breaking point and you know, we'd hate to see someone um, whose system's under a significant amount of stress suffer, you know, um, anything from, you know, a heart condition or, or something like that. Yeah, heat stroke. I mean, it's pretty easy to see how the players at the moment could be suffering heat stroke because it's pretty hot at the start of the season. So I doubt there's going to be the same allowances come round one when it's temperatures 30 degrees that there are in the JLT with the extra water carriers. So, um as you said, just having some um, either some water around the side or potentially looking at this rule a little bit later. Um, but I I think this is a good rule, the runner rule, because I think we had a couple of issues towards the end of last year or the middle of last year where um, where people were abusing that rule. Um, as a sort of coaches and teams unfortunately brought it on themselves and might have ruined it for everybody. But 
it's um it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. This is much more like what football is like, um, especially when you're playing it growing up. Um, there's not constant communication and somebody holding you accountable. The players again are gonna have to be more accountable for their own actions. Yeah, absolutely, and then that's great that that that's kind of coming back into it. It is a bit more like what you did growing up, but. The other thing is, is when you're growing up, you've got a pretty simple game plan. It's kick it long to the big bloke. Um, you were always the big bloke. Oh, man. <laughs> Sometimes. Um, but they, uh, you know, nowadays, you know, game plans are getting more complex. Um, interchanges are more required. I think I think what we'll end up seeing, probably the big positive out of this, is we're going to see the best players spend, you know, 90 percent plus game time on the ground um i think paddy cripps said it in the paper that you know this year he's going to rest kind of 30 percent forward he already had a hugely high time on ground percentage um of about 85 percent and you know this year he might push up into the 90s um which is only positive for super coach there's yep. a super coach tip there get on cripper there's a actually yeah you were right as well another one to do with that was that um Selwood spent a whole lot of time on the wing um, and he doesn't ordinarily spend a heap of time on the wing, but he was just directing traffic because it was really easy to see him. So he would be closest person to the interchange, uh, directing players, t- saying who should be going off, who should be going on, who should be going into the contest. He would charge in the contest off the side of the square. Yeah. Um, so we are going to see a lot more of that traditional leadership. Yeah, and look, I, th- leadership. I, I, I remember uh, Paul Ruse years ago touched on it when he took over at Melbourne when they first started talking about limiting um, the runners on the field. And, and his comment, it's still valid today, um, is that teams with more senior experience and um, like at the time he was pointing out at Hawthorne, um, you know, having Mitchell and, and um, Hodge and Lewis and all those guys still there, that they basically had, you know, four or five on-field coaches that could be spread over different areas of the ground. Um, so realistically, and then he basically said that, that young teams suffer with that lack. And I'd agree that it's still the same. So so your younger sides, like your Gold Coasts and your, um, and your Carltons and, and even St Kilda's and stuff, they're really going to struggle um, with this type of rule because they're elder statesmen in each part of the ground they don't have a lot of it um, and especially with St Kilda losing Jack Stephen and I think that's probably why Dan Hanabry is going to be quite influential because he yeah. is that type of leader so um, it's, going to, it's going to put a premium on that um, on that Luke Hodge style contract going to Brisbane where you, yeah. you, you see these kind of leaders I mean I think that if they went back um, if Boomer Harvey was still around today um, when he was asked to retire from uh, North Melbourne, I reckon that given these rules, you might have got a three-year deal with your Gold Coast Suns or something like that, just to be the most experienced person on the ground. And as you said, that on-field coach, and you see that a lot in um, in sport around the world, where elder statesmen have longer careers that they do lose physical ability but they're out there to direct people that have the physical ability to do it to, mm. to do their job for them they, they're just out there as you said as the coach and the leader so well, yeah was it Vince, Vince Carter still running around the yeah, NBA yeah he is and, he's, and he's, he racked up a 30 the other week oh what's that it's okay. Just got my phone. <laughs> All right, moving on. Um, probably what I think is one of the bigger rule changes for this year and, and one that's certainly advantageous to um, a lot of teams and, and advantageous to us super coaches if we pick wisely, um, the changes around the kick-in rule. So what the changes are is that the player no longer has to kick it to himself to play on from the goal square Um, so they can just basically pick up a ball and run directly on and this is in conjunction with not having to wait for the umpire to wave his flags which was a previous requirement that got abolished a few years ago and then on top of that the man on the mark's been moved out um, an additional five or four meters or something out to 10 meters from the top of the goal square and there's also an exclusion zone off to the side of the goal square of six metres. So I guess overall, um, this will pretty much mean that sides, when it, it, it penalises a point yeah. rather than... Um, so teams who are inaccurate 
are basically going to be penalised if the opposition team is quick um, and gets on with it. You can potentially rebound the the ball very quickly, which we saw a lot of. Um, Richmond were especially efficient at it, um, often having short or broad deliver the ball out of the back line, get Hawley it to Hawley. Well. Yeah. Hawley then got it up up into the forwards, and you were seeing a lot of one-on-one contests um, because that ball's able to transition very quickly. I see Essendon as being a big beneficiary of this as well, regardless of the result. Um, and JLT won for them. I think that their, their style of player they have will certainly benefit from this if they make sure they get their skates on and get it moving. Yeah, it would be interesting for stretching the ground as well. Like... One of the things that I've seen over the course of the first week of this being played out is a lot of players um, forwards being caught under the long kick. So someone's played on, they've carried the ball 20 or 30 metres and booted the ball to the wing and it's effectively carried half the pack. So the people, like defenders just sitting at the back are just mopping up and rebounding, similar to watching West Coast play anyone last year when yeah. you're just bombing it to that free person. But I can sort of see this stretching the ground a little bit more where you might have a more traditional full forward sitting at centre half forward and yeah. saying, I'm not moving. You're either going to stay. If this ball gets out the back, I'm going to walk into an open goal. And it's already at halfway, so they can't make a mistake. And uh, that will then also allow the centre half forwards and the half forwards to sit a little bit further back and potentially influence the contest there. Um, what it definitely does is allow teams to set up effectively behind the ball without just being stuck inside their own defensive 50. So yeah. uh, a team like Gold Coast, who we're expecting not to um, be at the top of the ladder this year, uh, if they're being peppered at, uh, they can at least get the ball out to the wing and have their leaders that are in that side make them shape up behind the ball and give them an opportunity to intercept and rebound from there. Yeah, and when you say spread the ground, you're not talking spread it side to side. You're talking yeah. longitudinally down yeah, the yeah. ground. You pulling pulling the you know where you might have your three four five zone, pulling that five line back into the middle of the ground or even further back, meaning you can't. You're not going to have you know thirty of the thirty six players on the field compressed into the forward fifty. Yeah. Um, I also think that like so. The teams that do the team defense really well, Richmond, West Coast, I also feel that this rule, when teams figure it out, are going to help you unlock those teams. Watching Richmond on the weekend, they were fantastic. Um, I mean, they were a reasonably strong side. They had a few guys out, but they were really, really good. Um, The way their team defense was, you know, uh, whether it be Grimes or Asprey or or Rance in the air, and then on the ground you had Broad and Short and... um, uh, Markov was it down there helping out and Hooley as well that run but they they just move as a team the whole time yeah I feel that if sides like Melbourne wasn't quick at playing on on the weekend and I think that's due to Hibbert and, and May and that not being there but yeah if I was playing Richmond I'd be playing on as quick as possible getting it down to that wing and then doing whatever I can to get it over the back um, and just boot it forward and like you said you just sit someone back into you know 40 metres out from the goal and just either make Richmond man them up yep and the same for West Coast yep. make, make Hearn, West Coast man them up Hearn man them up or they're going to sacrifice and leave and you're going to do everything you can to get it over the back yep and if it gets past that last man it's a goal yep and, and that's what I really feel for this year and, and this rule and what it's going to bring is that sort of you know real risk reward um, which you didn't really have last year yeah the one the only potential downside I can see to that is is with the teams that have strong defences is when other teams are scoring heavily against them, as in peppering the goals and trapping them in uh, for their chance to attack. So say it was Melbourne playing Richmond on the weekend, that Richmond can now release the ball out to the wing even if they're not even really trying that hard to retain the ball, is in just go, we're just going to get as much distance on these two kicks as we possibly can, and we're going to set up behind it. So we're going to have 100 metres between the ball and the goal, and we're going to back that our team will use our team defence to turn the ball over, and we're going to burn them back the other way again. So, But that's that's footy tactics, that exa- and, that, and that's, yeah. what, that's what I love. I'm, I'm, I'm actually really looking forward to seeing teams work this out, as in what is going to be the way to do it. Um, it's it's, it's got to be quick. I mean, this is this is a thing like, um, you know, when I was coaching, the thing that I used to say to my team was always, you know, um, 
as soon as as soon as that point's kicked, you get that ball, and, and this is in amateurs, so we don't have six balls waiting behind the goal. But you go get that ball, and you get there quick as possible, and get the ball out of that that back line, that um, full back position as quick as you can. I don't care if the kick's fifteen meters or if it's fifty meters, get it out from that position because yeah. the longer you stay there, the better the defence behind goes. Yeah. Um, so I feel that this kind of rule is really going to improve that. For, and, and I think it will help teams, like you said, who are getting heavily scored against the younger sides because they'll be out all of a sudden, get it to a big shoe who can who can pump it down. Yep. Um, and then you just got to be quick enough to set up, I guess. Yep. So moving on. Yeah, marks and free kicks in defence. So this is, um, I guess, in line with the kick-in rule. So uh, when defenders mark, or I guess anyone marks if they're playing in defence, um, or receive a free kick within nine metres of their own goal, the man on the mark will be brought in line with the top of the goal square. So uh, that's just instead of them being hemmed in against the against the goal line, they're going to get that additional few metres, um, which gives, again, players that are stuck deep in defence the advantage of being able to move a couple of metres and get the ball. Um, out. I just think I think last year and even the years gone by, there's been so many times where you know a defender's made a you know an amazing mark on the goal line or you know within a couple of meters, only to be you know taking the mark directly in front of the point post and then have to run back and run around that point post and all of a sudden you've lost you know um, twenty. 20 degrees of your vision out in front of you yeah. to hit someone and, and you're being penalised for good defence, which I think this is a good move because it just takes away that real unfairness in that. Um, I don't think it's going to have any impact on the game though overall. I think it's just going to mean maybe uh, less setup and less double repeats. Yep. Um, but yeah, I think yeah, there's not a lot, and not a, there's not a lot of players who really benefit super coach wise from this. No, it's a. I mean, it's just a. It's a good rule. Um, mm. it's, it's not really going to benefit anyone. Or I mean, the only thing might be that it, it gives um, it gives players the option to spot up um, off the off that play rather than just get back as far as you can and kick it as far as you can. Which is typically when you're hemmed in between having to kick out between the goals and hemmed against the wall. Mm. You're just looking for the nearest short pass that you can make, or just torping it as far as you can because. You're, you don't have any options. So it at least gives you as options to move laterally. Yeah. Um, just going back to the last one, we didn't talk about any super coach benefits from the kick-in. I think uh. that's probably one thing we should have touched on. I mean, I, I have my theory, um, but you, you, you shoot, John. So my theory on the kick-ins is that it's not going to have as bigger impact as um, potentially it's been played out to have. Uh, the reason I think that is because I think people that didn't play on a whole lot last year... Uh, it's not because um, they can automatically play on by just walking outside the goal square, so they're going to be fine. I think the people that like to kick from a standing start, so like your yeah, Luke Ryans and your Jake Lloyds, people who are good at just dropping the ball, kicking at 20 metres from a standing start, um, it, it advantages those guys. For people like your yeah, Alex Witherdens, I can see it benefiting him. Um, but remember that if it counts as a kick, it counts as a disposal, um, that it can also count as an ineffective disposal. And I saw that a little bit as well on the weekend where uh, Witherden just sort of walked outside the goal square not really having much of an intention of where he was going to get it yet, but he knew he was going to play on. Yeah. And then he just booted it long and kicked it out in the full, and that, that counts as an ineffective kick. Um, so it gives you the option of making a long, effective kick, but to do that, you still have to be an effective player. Yeah, um, agree with pretty much all of it. I think um, there's going to be um, some players who will really benefit, and the guys I think who will really benefit are, are more along the lines of your your running back pockets. So I guess to me, the first guys that jump into my uh, in my, into my mind are probably um, Nathan Wilson from Fremantle, um, Zach Williams, probably more a halfback flanker, but you do see him go back. But he Shaw's probably going to benefit. He plays more of that traditional back pocket. Um, Jared Harbrow, I think, did very well on the weekend and certainly was willing to play on. And these are your running style back pockets. I think it'll be interesting to watch Michael Hibbard coming up this weekend with Melbourne if he goes and picks up the ball and just gets on with it because he's a he's another one who love to run and take on people yeah. so I think I even saw some of the 
um, some of the wings getting involved in the kick-ins. So if the wings were down in the forward 50, I saw Brad Hill kick the ball in a couple of times. He'd just yeah. pick, up, pick up the ball, run as fast as he can for 25 metres, get the space, and then just bomb it to the wing. Um, that counts as an effective kick and all of those all the distance gained for his team. Mm. Um, so it's not going to be as much of a... Um, I don't think there'll be as many set plays. So it's in this particular person's going to kick it in and when they kick in, they do this. It's just going to be if somebody picks up the ball and they're fast and they've got good skills and they'll, they'll take it. Um, so closest person sometimes will make that rule. Yeah. Um, uh, so the next rule, uh, next rule change was umpire contact. So field umpires can pay free kicks for clear, careless contact uh, from a player with an umpire. Umpires will also vary their approach uh, line at the centre bounce where it's apparent players are favouring a certain side of the centre circle and clearly signal their exit path. A free kick may be awarded if a player from either team makes careless contact with an umpire and the infringing player is easily identifiable and B, if a player pushes an opponent into the umpire's path and infringe the infringing player is easily identifiable. So Common sense rule. Common sense rule is, yeah, you can't, <laughs> can't, you can't use the umpire as a, as a dummy anymore to... Um, oh, Joel Sol would be disappointed. Well, yeah, well... That's, he'll, his, that's his tag breaker. He'll still duck. Uh, no, yeah. no, not his ducking. He's, that's, that's how he breaks his tag quickly. Yeah, he'll do that now. Just knocks, knocks him into the umpire. But no, no, it's, I mean, it's it's common sense. How many times did we all crack it last year where a player got pushed into an umpire or, you know, um, I think I watched one game with Sydney and, and um, Parker or Hanbury or something was literally just holding the tagger in the line of, of the umpire. And, of course, um, no one's really watching because that umpire's balling it up and they're literally holding onto them like they've held them in the space and then they're grabbing onto the jumper and letting the umpire run in and run a shepherd for him and, and you're just like this is garbage like you can't yeah. do that but you know it, you actually could it was not illegal and now they've made it illegal um, and hopefully we, we stop seeing that and it's nice to see the umpires actually um, direct out the side so obviously players generally like to be in that kind of um, I guess if you look at it as a as a clock with, with kind of north being um, to, to, to towards towards your goal being yeah. being twelve. Yeah. So if you if you're thinking of your goal as the twelve, a lot of ruckmen being right-handed generally like to hit to their to their left um, or the the nine o'clock position, and that's pretty much where the umpires were running out a lot. Um, so on the weekend, I saw um, the umpires ball it up and actually go out kind of through the 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 seven o'clock position of the yeah of the the circle so that was really good um and i think that that's going to result in a lot less umpire contact which is which is great yeah next one up we've got the um the 50 meter penalty changes and um i think i reckon there's going to be a bit of controversy on this this year because it's it is an interpretive one to the umpire but basically the way it breaks down is that the player with the ball has to be allowed to advance the mark by 50 meters without the infringing player delaying the game um, and they can play on whilst the 50 meter penalty is being measured out so basically the umpire will run run back and measure the 50 um, and then the the player who's got the ball and got the free kick and the penalty um, basically has to run unencumbered, um, be able to run all the way up to the mark without being encumbered by the infringing player, which is like last year what we'd see and, and previous years gone by, even going back into the 80s and stuff, you know, they'd give away a 50 and you'd have to wait until the mark's been set by the umpire yeah. and you'd see them just start ribbing each other knocking to each other and so all that's gone. Basically, if you can't run fast enough to keep up with the umpire, Empire, um, who they've been told they have to get on with it um, then you just get out of the way and get one of your teammates to cover and I believe uh, Lambert was the one no was it Lambert or I'm not sure so was, there, was, there was one it was in the Melbourne Richmond game basically Clayton Oliver uh, got a free kick and, and then got a pretty dubious 50 metre penalty because he looked like he played on I can't remember I can't remember if it was Lambert or someone one of one of the Richmond players basically um, they awarded the 50 and then Oliver's got off 
and just sprinted yeah. and and they've gone to catch up to him and then got alongside him and, and, and in front of him yeah. and then Oliver's you know done a bit of the dodgy thing which is run directly at the guy yeah. but he's now infringing Oliver and, and he did it for probably two seconds and then the umpire gave him another 50 and took him to the top of the square so uh, you know I think players might it would be controversial because I think players are going to sucker it in a bit like Oliver did on the weekend but at the same time like I like that they can also just play on from it whenever and I yeah. think one of the doggies players did it they they saw that you know the Gold Coast weren't really paying attention and then took the kick probably 25 metres early yep you, um, you should be able to as well because you're not necessarily the most advantaged if you get all of the 50 metres but yeah. you've got a completely clogged back line if you get 15 metres into it and you realise you've got someone completely out you should be able to pull that kick and make it yeah. um, which is good that you're able to do it and the other thing is is that again the players might complain about this being juiced in the first year by like an Oliver sort of thing like you've just described but again the players unfortunately brought this rule on themselves by in- infringing the player that's trying to advance the 50 so yeah. previously the umpire is bringing the 50 up and the guy who's going to man the mark is arguing about it taking a bit longer to jog up to the position which is holding up the play allowing his team to clog up the ball like they're getting in each other's face as you said like that that is all stage uh, showmanship to allow your defense to set up and yeah all of that crap is gone. You, you, and the same thing happens. Um, I'm pretty sure now in a in a free kick. If you're sitting over the ball, or you give away a free kick, and you're not letting the person take the ball from you and everything like that, they're just going to call a 50 meter penalty straight away. They're not going to wait around for you to waste their time. Um, it's too much of an advantage to be able to play on uh, for them to, as you said, hold up the play. I think that's the thing. Like we all don't, we all want. When it's our side, we want the gentleman in the game to be there. Like, you pick the ball, the closest player picks the ball up and throws it back. Um, but then, you know, when it's against your team, you want them just leave it there, don't touch it, kind of thing. And so it's one of those ones where, you know, people are, depending on which side of the free kick you're on, you, you'll argue the different way. I guess for me, um, I probably think that that you know if the ball's there to be picked up and you're standing in front of it and I'm, and I you know there's plenty of players who do it there's one that sprung to mind on the weekend which was was dusty um got pinged um ball spilled out behind him track's going to go get it and you know he's just standing there and you know just gently moving a little bit sideways to try and infringe and and like it's just more frustrating it's it's not a good look um I mean, the umpire didn't ping him and he shouldn't have been pinged and I don't think he should have at all, but it's just that frustrating look for the game that's like, well, you know, it's like all the things you hate about soccer with the free kicks where they've now actually, because the walls kept creeping forward, they have to use freaking spray foam. We don't want to get to that stage. So I think players just need to pull their heads in a little bit. And Yeah, I agree. I think that for this rule not to turn into a bigger rule um, with more infringements paid... Players need to, as you said, when they give away that first free kick, don't stand in front of between the ball and the player and not give it to them and then act like you're going to give it to them when they get really close. And then when they get there, actually pick up the ball and take two seconds to give them the ball. All that crap. You're going to create rules that you don't like um, to stop that from happening. Otherwise, just don't do it in the first place. And just, as I said, if everyone's playing by the good rules, then um, we won't have an issue. But while there's um, while there's rules to be exploited, there'll be people exploiting the rules. Yeah. Um, next up, we've got goal kicking after the siren. This one's an interesting one because I think it's driven out of the a lot more pocket play being happening last year. Um, and guys, you know, having to try and snap for goals without being able to take a step off the line. Um, I mean, if you're trying, if you've taken a mark in the pocket and you're trying to bend it back um, previously under the rules, you, you basically, the moment you take one step in any direction, either away from your mark or in front of your mark, it's now, uh, it, it's a play on and, and after the siren, you've lost that control. Um, and I reckon this rule's kind of an adaptation of the buddy arc. Yes. yes. So what the rule is, is um, after the siren, if a player who's been awarded a free kick or a mark, once the play is ended, they can now kick across their body using a, a snap or a, or a banana. Um, but they have to kick the ball from the line 
of the man on the mark and the, the goal. The mark, yeah, so so basically, if you draw a line straight to where you're meant to be, you can now step away from that line, not improve your angle, yep. um, and then go back. So you might go back three steps and then take your three steps and kick it. If yeah, you take a fourth, the yeah, then you'll be then you pinned for playoffs. So, so we saw this um, in the last game of the first round of the JLT, actually. Um, I can't remember who it was. I think it might have been Crocker, actually, from Collingwood. Mark the ball, siren ran out. He decided that he wanted to play on um, or, or go off his mark uh, and do the snap shot after the siren. Um, and, it, and sort of no one knew what to do. Like, that, yeah. that, what what actually happened was that a, the second, a second umpire came in. So the ump- there's one umpire that made the mark yeah. and then a second umpire went and made the line and said, here's the, uh-huh. line, you, here's the line you can't cross. So they had two people that he could see, but... It gave um, him a... I don't think he had great depth perception because no one's actually executed this rule before. Because if you're doing that in a game, you can step off your line and they call play on, but you've still got one or two steps before anyone's going to get near you. Mm. Whereas in this situation, he knew he couldn't go any further, so he pulled up maybe two or three steps short and shanked the kick in the end. Like, I think went through for a point. Um, And I, I would like to... I think the better executors like yeah Jack Rewaltz who is fantastic off two or three steps and there are a couple of players that are better off two or three step snaps mm. um, I think they'll be great at this I think for some of the other people who are just doing it because it's a rule um, that might end up bad yeah yeah agreed um, the I think the rules again it's another one of these common sense rules because you know you want players kicking for goals after the siren I mean who doesn't love you know watching someone have a snap or a, or a long kick after the siren um, and we already saw about five six, oh, probably even longer now probably about eight years ago the, the introduction of the natural arc um, which I think is still a bit of a crock of crap if I'm honest um, I mean most I know people naturally arc when they kick, but you don't need 15 steps on your arc. You need... It's your last two steps before you kick. Yeah, and the the natural arc also should be in the same spirit as this rule. You should have to start off your line. It's like worse than the angle to start off your line, and then you can improve it to the point that you get to, but it's play on as soon as you cross that point. Yeah, I reckon that's probably... Like, the easiest way to handle it all would just be simply you draw a line if you're a lefty and and you're on the left-hand side of the goal. Um, You can make your mark worse. You you have to go out to the left on your natural arc to kick it because that's making your angle worse. You're not improving your chances. Yeah. Um, And then the same thing for a right footer if they go out. Um, it, again, should, it, should just, it should just be for all of these ones. Mm. If you want to make the angle worse, that's fine. Like, I mean, maybe within reason, because if you mark the ball directly in front, don't go five metres off your line to the right to make it worse because you're going to have too much of an angle to be able to play on then. Mm. Um, like, as in, you'll be able to run on a non-direct arc towards the goal. But I, I think it should be pretty... I think it'll be pretty straightforward. Yeah, look, and, and the good thing is, is we've talked through a lot of these so far and, and we've said common sense a few times and really that's that's what we're asking for as fans. We want less grey. We want to see black and white, you know, the amount of times as the crowd you yell ball, um, but then which which variant are we talking about? Are we talking about the 1995 variant, the 1999, the 2008, the 2011? Like, what's holding the ball? What's incorrect disposal? What's dropping the ball? Like, so many times on the weekend you just see players like I guess gather possession and then you know it spills out in a tackle and the umpires call play on whereas you know five years ago it was called a free kick and you know everyone's going you know what incorrect disposal yeah. or prior opportunity or whatever it is I think what everyone's after is just common sense to make it easy to understand and follow so the AFL's obviously taking that feedback on board because a lot of these are quite intelligent and that's segues into this next one yeah which is marking contest so this is the was originally the controversial hands in the back rule I mean it took a while for forwards especially to get the hang of this one when the, when the rule first came in that you can't have your hands at all in the back uh, but they've reversed that rule this year so now you're allowed to have your hands placed in the 
back of your opponent uh, to protect your space in a marking contest, but you can't push your opponent in the back. So you're allowed to hold the space and then go up for the mark, uh, quite similar to what you're allowed to do in the side of a player, uh, but you're not allowed to push the player out of the way in two motions and then claim the space yourself and take the mark. So yeah, um, this is, a, again, a common sense mark. It was probably getting too unfair to the player that um, and I think that I'll probably look at something with the um, in the back rule with like falling in people's back as well yeah, yeah, it's I'd, not say, good, is it? I'd say that's the next one to come as well as far as this in the back goes because th- this rule originally like in the back is supposed to protect players but this wasn't doing anything for anyone and it wasn't improving the look of the game the feel of the game and it was disadvantaging the person that had made the best position because yeah. they weren't allowed to hold their space with anything other than their forearms uh, all their chest, which means... But, but even forearms were getting called. And even then, you also have to, like, what's the maximum length of someone from shoulder to bicep? We're talking probably Max Cox, uh, not Max Cox, Mason Cox might be what, like... 500 s- mil? Yeah, 500, 600 mil. That's the only space that you can have between the person in front of you rather than an arm's length, which is much more appropriate for holding them there and then reaching up. They're not going to be able to get over the top of you unless they are Mason Cox. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just that it, it's a, this rule again makes sense. Yeah, look, it's just it's. I think it's one. The AFL's clear guidance is they want more scoring, um, and that's what you know the play on from the back is. It stops the zone and stops the choke of the game. The six 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 is about you know not over choking the defense at the start. Um, whether it's effective or not, it's a different question. But the this is just another one where you know the forwards are probably being very disadvantaged, and we're talking big forwards. Like Josh Kennedy, Tom Hawkins, um, uh, Patton, I think, will benefit from this um, coming back from his knee. I'm trying to think who are the other real big. Um, uh, who's the body on body, really, that's apart from those guys? It's not really many left. No, it, it, um, I mean, it, it's going to yeah. benefit your body on body type, um, big key forwards, and. Uh, and like I can remember Tom Hawkins I reckon got pinged for this about 30 times last year yeah. uh, and some of them like as much as I'm an opposition supporter I just felt for him sometimes because there's some absolute jokes of decisions like yeah. he got he got done for one for literally he like held a guy off with his forearm with his with his hand like touching yeah. the guy's back and then he put his other hand up like that oh, like like um, yeah. next to it and they said two hands in the back and, and he like looking at coming he's, he's got his forearm and his hand it's not two hands and yeah. then, but yeah. then that's the grey area that's so. that, and as you said we're like like as fans, similar to what we spoke about actually in, in the um, in the fantasy episode where we talked about fantasy versus reality, what you want to be able to do is watch the game and it makes sense. Um, and that, as a rule, never made sense because it made the game look worse. It made the play that was made the better play get penalised all the time. No, no fan on either side was really happy. Like when it happened, you were like, "You're like that should have been shouldn't have been paid." You were always sort of a bit iffy about it. So, uh, but as I said, I can see this transitioning into um, into an in the back rule. We can talk about that in a second, though. Yeah, I mean, look, like that's a good one. I think though, the that dropping in the back, like when players are scrapping for the ball on the ground uh, and people are on their knees, how many times do we just see blokes let their body go floppy and just fall yep. forward, um, inviting players to fall on them? Yep. So putting themselves in more danger. It's like the head stuff that we spoke about last year. It's one The AFL, in its best uh, intentions, um, tries to outlaw something and the rule that they make is so rigid that it ends up incentivizing it for players. Yeah, you should just do, like make it suspendable. Like as in falling in somebody's back, like when you're like, as you said, when you're on the ground or even at full standing level, like falling in someone's back isn't um, a penalty in itself, but pinning someone's arm falling in their back and driving their head into the ground will probably get you suspended because that'll be... It will under the sling rule. That's what I mean, under the protection of the head rule, which is what this rule is actually trying to do. So Mm. make it something that you suspend. But I've never seen 
anyone ever with these little dinky falls in the back where the, I hate it when they just drop their knees and fall forward so that they, as you said, invite someone to slip onto their back. Mm. I've never seen anyone get injured from a little bit of contact in the back like that, a little bit of soft yeah. contact. And you could see players that, um, if you watch the Gold Coast, West Coast, uh, West Western Bulldogs game, you see players come up from the underages like Rankin. He chased down a player, delivered an awesome tackle, and then at the very last second of that tackle got called for in the back. So 90% of the tackle and all of the tackle that should have been rewarded because he completely pinned the guy, I think it was Bont actually, mm. he completely pinned him, should have been a free kick. And then the moment that it slipped into the back, which is just Bont being skillful as in getting his knees finally aligned and just falling forward, yeah. inviting the fall in the back. And Rankin didn't know what to do. Like, that's not football. Like, he's brought, come up playing under 18s and everything, and that's not football that anyone understands. Yeah, well, like, that's the thing. It's not really paid that harshly at, at lower levels because it's such a, a speed-related thing and, and the lower levels of AFL just aren't quick yeah. compared to AFL, like, at the top level. So it's a really difficult one for, for teams, for young players especially, to get used to. I think... Um, like obviously in that situation he'll be getting coached that he needs to turn the player yeah. or get his body in front yeah. so when he takes him down you kind of the, the tackling player almost ends up sitting and holding the player Yeah. Um, I mean it's just it's not football you're right because it's not the way I mean I don't think AFL players are taught to tackle very well as it is but yeah um, that's a yeah, it's a different thing altogether. But yeah, I I agree with you on that. In that, it's it's disappointing when you see a great rundown like that, and it ends up being a free kick the other way. It's just like all uh, all, all the just, ones, all the ones that uh, penalise the tackler for a ninety percent good tackle, and then five percent of illegal, ten percent of illegal contact, like even high tackles where you know 50 to 60% where everyone's chanting ball and then at the last minute the guy gets his head down low enough to draw a soft bicep into the head that shouldn't be a free kick to the person that's got their head down in time that should just be that's holding the ball like as in reward the tackle no chance of injury no one's going to get suffocated in that yeah. amount of time it should be it should be simple it's called first contact yeah. so if you go and tackle and your first contact is below the shoulders then it's a fair tackle. Yeah. Regardless of if someone drops their knees and slides out or ducks and fends, if I go and tackle Joel Selwood and my first contact is with his biceps and then he does a shrug and then I get his head, yep. that's just play on. Yep. And, and then if he doesn't get rid of the ball, it's holding the ball. Like, And then you, you, you're so right. And then you also, all of this obviously has the caveat that the head is sacrosanct when it comes to head injuries. So if someone picks up Selwood, and he starts slipping low, and then they decide to turn it into a pile drive tackle and mm. slam his head into the ground. Still going to get suspended. Yeah. Still going to be protecting the head. It's still going to be illegal to smash someone's face in. Yeah. Well, that's that's just it, isn't it? It's like it. It's just all these little things that you you just sit there and you just shake your head a little bit at, and and. I mean, we've all been. I mean, we, we're probably being a bit unfair. Selwood's the most notable ducker, yeah. but it's. But I mean, like, there's so many players who do it. Yeah. He's not alone, and I'm not. I'm not picking on him, but just being the more notable one that we we often discuss. He's, he's the best at it. Oh yeah, he is. He's the best at it, and good on him. But, but like I've said it before, I'm not sure if I've said it on the podcast, but I know that most of most of the boys, most of my mates, would have heard me rant on about this and about and I, and I said it when the AFL brought in the rules. They're incentivizing guys to get contact to the head in all their best intention to say the head is sacrosanct and you make one touch to the head and you're getting a free kick against you so many of those touches are incidental yeah and and they're core and they can be caused by a player so you know a lot of it's got to come back to intent and contact like if i if i go to tackle someone and i make my first contact with their with their elbow and then i end up hitting their head 
head in amongst the tackle where they're trying to break free and I'm trying yeah. to get them down. Like it's just got to be, it's just got to be play on. It's, it's it's incidental, and no player would really be annoyed at that rule being changed. They would no. understand that's just the rule of playing the game. And Joel Selwood doesn't didn't start ducking to get free kicks. He actually used to do it before this. Yeah, it's and how he evades tackles, and there's right. nothing wrong with that. And it's good. That's a good technique. And as soon as they introduce that rule as well, you've seen so many more people walk with their head down over the ball to draw contact and putting their neck at serious risk of ever injury and people getting some shitty hits and also just we'll we'll wrap up on this because there is one more rule that we need to get through and 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 I I can rant on this all day so can I Um, leading with the shoulder people are always talking about how you're allowed to turn um, sharp corners with your shoulders down but the increase in players looking over their shoulder, seeing that tackling is going to be coming and then just angling their body so that their head and shoulders are completely in line with the tackler. Yeah. That's another one that should just be... I I would go as far as to say leave, like, high tackles to purely head-only contact, not above the shoulders, head-only contact, and umpire's discretion, as in if the umpire deems it a dangerous high tackle, call it. But if somebody ducking their shoulders into an oncoming player and that player makes the tackle, then that's fine. You, you've opted to take the tackle. You could have gone the other way. Mm. You could have you could have continued in a straight line, but you've gone to take on the person coming at you. And, Let's just play on. I guess yeah, I mean, just, it's just play on. And yeah. then, I mean, look like, you know, the other controversial rule that I think needs to get looked at is below the knees, like what it was brought in for versus the way players like... Uh, they they do like the same thing with walk, the head. They walk past the line of the ball and and let yeah, someone let someone else. Oh, and it just drives you nuts. It's it, like come on, boys. Yeah, that I've seen. Yeah, we saw that a couple of times last year where someone has dived on the ball. A player is not involved in that contest. They are maybe two meters off that play, but they run at the contest and then trip over the player that has the ball on the ground and earn a free kick. And then they land on their back, which yeah. is actually the worst of the two <laughs> risks because yeah. you've put yourself in danger. Anyway, last one, which is, I think, going to be a ripper for this year because it's going to encourage a bit more movement from the from the, the stoppages, which is um, the removal of, of prior opportunity at the ruck contest. So um, a ruckman who takes direct possession of the ball from a bounce throw-up or boundary throw-in will no longer be regarded as having prior opportunity. Um, so... Basically, that means that uh, a ruckman can take it out of the ruck, and if they get tackled immediately, they're not going to get pinged for having the the, yeah, the courage to grab the ball out of the ruck and take it on. Yeah. Um, and then there's also where there, this is around the um, nomination rule, which we all loved so much last year, um, where there's uncertainty over who the designated ruckman is. A ruckman from each team will be still be required to nominate to the field umpire. So basically... Um, if Max Gorn and Grundy are lining up at a ruck contest, the umpire is going to assume that those two are competing. Correct. If somebody else comes in and one of those two does not compete, that'll be a free kick against the player that's come in as third man up because they are not the... Uh, they're not who we would assume are the designated ruckmen. Yeah, they're not designated. If, the, if one of those guys isn't there and there's a couple of players standing around, the umpire will ask who is each team's ruckman to ensure that they know who it is. It's a pretty straightforward rule. Yep, yep. And that's, it's, again, common sense to fix yep. last year's ridiculousness of watching Grundy and Gorn play against each other, put their hands up and say, yes, sir, on the ruck. Yeah. yeah. Like, come on, man. What? Yeah, this 211-centimetre dude to the ruck? That's weird. Yeah, I mean, um, well, you had a 211-centimetre sitting one sitting down in the forward line, mate. Yeah, yeah, I know. the short guy in the ruck. Why? Yeah, yeah. But, but overall, I think, yeah, like, um, a lot of the ruckmen, Gorn, Grundy... Um, um, I, I think the people that will really benefit are probably your running athletic ruckman, and I think it also might make um, Nankervis a bit more relevant as I, well. I think so as well, and I think um, so. Body, yeah, as you said, like body rucks, like a Nankervis who can, who's good at actually holding space and just competing. Him being able to go, I can just grab this and kick it 60 meters mm. in the right direction is good for him. It's also probably beneficial to. Um, powerful forwards so again this is another rule that could benefit the powerful forwards and I've seen a lot through the JLT already 
the powerful forward rucks the forward line because they effectively get first crack at a goal. Yeah. Like if the Smart. if the ball if the ball drops short, they can just pick it up and chuck the boot at it and see how it goes. Um, and obviously, um, I think that will be phased out over time. Personally, the the uh, the big key forward doing that. Reason being is that it's a high. Uh, risk shot and forwards are going to be way more ready to take the ball out of the ruck than rucks are. Rucks are much more ready to hit the ball to their player. I think teams just need to train for it. I don't see them trying to change that because... Think think about it. Like, if you're... Grundy Grundy versus Sam Wiedemann, who's going to bloody win that? No, I'm not saying Grundy versus Sam Wiedemann. I'm saying that if you've got... um, Who's a a good example? Um... If, Josh Kennedy? I'd say Jack Jack Darling, Josh Kennedy, either of those guys, they they are more likely to have a shot for goal in a ruck contest than someone like um, Tom Hickey. Yeah. Even if both of them in the forward line, they're more likely to want to take the ball out of the ruck and have that shot. That's because that's a forward's mentality is grab the ball, have a shot for goal. Now, the reason I'm saying that I think it'll be phased out over time, that that play, is because if you miss then you're giving the ball to an opponent that can now rebound the ball 100 metres up the ground. It's not going to be phased out by the AFL. It's going to be phased, be phased out, by, out by clubs. Okay, yeah, fair call. Yeah, ch- changing their coaching strategy because they see so many behinds and then quick rebounds the other way, whereas Ruckman will be more likely to hit the ball back into the corridor and go, let's just do repeat stoppages and keep running our plays and we'll eventually get a goal out of it. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. I mean, I, I think, yeah, it's a... I, I love to watch... Um, big blokes take a snap out of the ruck. There's nothing nothing better than seeing remind, that. remind yourself of yourself here. For those of you who don't know, Sean is about what are you, six foot seven and hundred and ten kegs? <laughs> yeah, and then some. Yeah. So um, um he, he is the quintessential example of this ruck for ruck forward we're talking about. Push them out of the way, <laughs> exactly. and have a snap. <laughs> um yeah. No, it's it's look, it's good rule. Um I I do I do really like the direct possession. I think it's I think it's just going to bring another aspect to the game. I mean, how how great was Tom Boyd, his goal um, out of the ruck in, in the 2016 grand final? Yeah. Um, and, and you sit there and think, well, that's now going to be a potential every week, every game that, uh, you know, if you... And, and Melbourne suffered from it on the weekend where Proust was struggling to get to contests. I don't know what was going on there. But Proust was struggling to get to contests and all of a sudden Richmond realised it. So they switched Noel Bolter, who's an athletic beast, into the ruck. And he basically ran up and grabbed every single contest and just pumped that ball forward. Yeah. Um, which is great. Like, that's really intelligent play by Dimmer to take maximum advantage going... The other Ruckman's struggling. You can't get mobile enough. Um, let's just use it to our advantage. And, and they put Nank down forward. And, you know, you, you just look at that and you go, like, it gives the coaches so much flexibility to adjust like that. Yep. And, you know, teams are going to... There's going to be more emphasis on Ruckman having to get up and down the ground or having assigned second Rucks to move yep. in. Yeah, that, that's going to be the thing, is having, having Ruckman. Because if you put Grig in against gone now or even a second ruck that is of equivalent like a two meter tall player in the center of the ground put him up against Bruce exactly Um, he can't just sit off the contest and let the ruckman win the ball and go I'm going to be a fourth midfielder because Bruce will just grab the ball and kick at 60 metres. Like, you've just sacrificed the contest and all of the yardage that you gained from that play. Well, who, so Who did that on the weekend? In Port, Ad- Port Adelaide's game um, against Adelaide, they... Oh, was it Source? The, the ball up was really wonky, um, and it, like, sat over Source's head, and Ryder just ran up, jumped, plucked it, and just kept going. Yeah. Like, didn't even stop, and you just sit there, and I, I was watching that going, you know, Steph Martin, Paddy Ryder, Nick Nat Nui when he comes back. These guys must be just licking their lips. Yeah. If they get a bounce that slightly gives them a longer run-up where they can use that leap over the top of a two-meter Ruckman rather than, like, a, a Gorn or... or um, that size of Ruckman where they have the distinct advantage even though they're a little bit shorter they can yep. jump that a lot higher it, you're just sitting there going that they're going to sit there any bounce that's slightly miscued towards the other side yeah. they're going to be running jumping and trying to get through yeah and, you're right 
Um, I mean, that'd be a great sight to see a, a repaired Nick Natanui flying over the top and sprinting out of the middle. Yeah, it, it, uh, you're right. It'll be exciting to see. The, the, the thing that I'm hoping that I don't see is uh, play controlling Ruckman, as in two minutes left in a game, uh, know that they can't be called for having prior advantage and just blocking space and trapping the ball on ground level and just going, I can now effectively not have to even hit the ball out. And, and risk it getting intercepted by an opponent, I can just mm. trap the ball underneath myself, pick, pick it up and handball it into dirt and then tackle whoever gets that ball. Like, Grundy is a good example of someone who could do that because he's a big, strong tackler. Just mm. go, I'm just going to ice this game myself. I'm just going to take two minutes off the clock with repeat stoppages and tackles. Um, that's an example of how it could potentially be abused. I, I don't... It, It'll be interesting to see what happens. Maybe they'll call prior opportunity or no genuine, uh, not a genuine attempt to dispose of the ball. Well, that was an interesting one on the weekend. They're, so it's a different interpretation now. They're not not a genuine attempt. So basically, you know, the old, you know, hand passing your chest just past the ball and making it look like you're trying. That's actually, you know, if the umpire thinks you're not actually hitting or trying to make contact with the ball, you're going to get pinged. So um, I think uh, Neil Bullen got done for it. Um, you know, he got stitched up like within a second of getting the ball and had no prior. But then, you know, the guy is sitting on him on the ground and he's just sitting there with his hands out going, oh, I can't get it. Yeah. And the umpire's like, you're not even trying. So yeah. that's against you. And that's great because, again, common sense rule. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of the stuff we're talking about here is really good in common sense. The title of the episode, I reckon we found it, Common Sense Rules. Um and that, that'll do it for us. That's all of the rules for um, for this season that have been updated, and I guess what we've seen a little bit throughout the um, throughout the week. And we will be back uh, next week with, I guess, probably a full rundown of how the JLT's gone and, and looking into how the season's actually going to pan out. Yeah, we'll be looking at JLT. Um, we'll probably go pretty deep into Supercoach and and fantasy next week. Um, given we'll have kind of two games of JLT excitement. Um, and then I guess probably um, after that we'll start touching on a bit more of the list stuff coming into round one probably look at where clubs are, are at heading into round one and, and I guess how we see their lists and and what the year can hold um, I know we've touched on that in a bit more high level at the end of last year but um, yeah I mean look thanks for looking after it last week Johnny and, and thank you for this week and um, apologies we, we may have introduced a few more rule changes we want to see <laughs> um, but we, we just want to make our great game a bit better and um, yeah. if, there's, if there's a rule that you want to see that we haven't thought of yet um, reach out to us and let us know I'll make sure that we um, we cover it on the next episode and have a little bit of a chat about it so, so there could be some pretty interesting ones yeah yeah exactly <laughs> so some curveballs would be good but thanks again guys and we'll chat to you again soon thanks guys see ya